Luke chapter number 11. Uh, We're looking this week at those places that Jesus visited. I want us to notice how that in this text, Jesus is in school, so to speak. And uh, he is teaching us. Jesus is in school. And he is teaching us. And throughout the scriptures, oft times, uh, the Bible referred to him teaching and preaching. He did it in the synagogue. He did it in the temple. He did it off the boat. He did it uh, in the mountains. He oft times teach and preach uh, to his disciples. They were learning what he had for them. But here he, he has a subject that they chose. And we're going to preach on that subject that he taught them about, which is the subject of prayer. Jesus is in school. He's teaching them about prayer. Look in verse 1. It came to pass, Luke chapter 11, that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of the disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. And he said unto them, When ye pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in heaven so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I want us to look at this school that Jesus has entered into just for a moment or two this afternoon. And uh, let the Lord speak to us concerning this real matter of prayer in this school. I want you to notice with me as we break it down... First of all, how Jesus begins this prayer. He begins it with a term of endearment and of intimacy. There is a relationship that is shown there. And it is, of course, the relationship of a father to whom a son is speaking to. Mm -hmm. He said, when ye pray, say, our father. Now, if you understand the Scriptures, you realize that in the Old Testament, that word Father with the capital F was only used three times. The Jews did not know God as a personal, individual, father-son relationship. They saw Him as a father of a nation, but not a father of an individual. As a matter of fact, to them, it was blasphemous and sacrilegious to, to uh, elevate yourself to the position to where you thought you were a direct son of God. And uh, so in the Old Testament, they're only mentioned three times and never in that relationship. It was not revealed to the Old Testament saint. You read concerning any of those great heroes of the faith, none of them referred to God as a father. Now they knew him as Abraham did, as a friend. He was a friend of Abraham. Moses, he was to him the lawgiver. To David, he was the shepherd. 
and throughout the Psalms, he's referred to as the, the mighty tower, the strong rock. And uh, on and on and on, they're given those uh, metaphors and similes in reference to what God meant to his people, but he was not their individual father. But when we come to the New Testament, when Jesus was born, of course, he was born the very Son of God. So he began in his ministry to introduce the disciples to the truth that there is such a thing as a heavenly father who has earthly children. And of course, Jesus was the only, the Bible said, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. And so Jesus began to refer, as a matter of fact, John's gospel, I call the gospel of the father because he spends the whole time talking about and referring to the one who is his father. And when the disciples heard that, I mean, when the Pharisees heard that, it angered them. And uh, they sought to kill him because he made himself equal with God. And he said he, he thought it not Robert to be equal with God. He said, I am my father, I want. He said, he's my, he's my father. And uh, he said, all the works, everything I do is the works and the will of my father. And so when we come to the New Testament, while on the, only three times in the Old Testament, uh, 300 and some times this word, let me get this right. 268 times this word Father with a capital F is used constantly. The reason being, Jesus introduced this relationship. He didn't introduce a doctrine. He didn't introduce a theory. He introduced a relationship. He was His Father's Son. And Hebrews tells us that He brought many sons into glory. But to as many as believed on him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God. And so we are sons because he was God's son. And he has given us of his spirit, the Bible said. If any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Christ in you, the hope of glory. The matter of salvation is a matter of birth. It is a matter of being born into the family of God, born of the Spirit with life from above into God's family divine. Jesus introduces us to this true relationship of a birth with the Heavenly Father. And uh, we notice that Jesus being the only Son of God, He alone had all of the begotten rights of the Father. He was the inheritor of everything that belonged to His Father. And as a result of that, He was the inheritor of the position. He said on the right hand of the Father. He was the inheritor of the power. All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. And he was the inheritor of this matter of complete liberty in the presence of God. He was the inheritor of the total, the only inheritor of this matter of prayer. He's the only one that had this prayer relationship of father and son. 
Others prayed on other levels, but they could not pray as father and son. And so what Jesus is wanting them to know is that they can become, you must. In other words, if you're going to be able to truly talk to the heavenly father, if you're going to be able to pray, you must be able to pray on this level, father and son. And he said, when ye pray, say our father. Now of all of the uh, metaphors and similes of of God to man, whether we're talking about friend or shepherd or whatever, I'd rather have that truth of being a son because you can take all the rest of them and put them in a bag and they're not going to... I'm glad that God is not my CPA. I'm glad that God is not my banker. Uh, I'm, I'm glad that God goes beyond that. He is my father as a result of His Son. And so all of those inherited rights are mine because Christ is in me. And so therefore, I can pray to my Father. And the reason why I can is because I have the Spirit of the Son within me. Which leads me to say this, that in this matter of prayer, mark this down, in the matter of the school of prayer, first of all, somebody has to be praying in you. This is not a prayer. Prayer has nothing to do with emotion nor intellect, but it has to do with relationship, father and son. And he said again, I have given unto them the spirit of my son. And what does the spirit of the son cry out? Abba, father. And can't you remember after you got saved? Now, I didn't know anything about prayer before I got saved. Never heard praying in my home. But after I got saved, without any teaching whatsoever, nor instructing, as far as I can remember, nobody ever told me that you need to do this. But I began to pray. Why? Because it was the Spirit of the Son, and that's all the Son prays. He addresses. My heart did not cry out to a, to a uh, supreme being. <laughs> yeah. I did not begin to pray to some superior power. Somewhere. Uh, I didn't even begin to pray to quote God. But I I began to say, my father. My father. Isn't that precious? We don't realize how precious that is at times. To get down upon your knees and without practice and without formality, uh, without pressure, without instruction. Why? Because it is a spirit in you. It is the spirit in you. It is the spirit. Hey. It is Christ in you crying out to his father. Amen. Saying, Amen. my father. Amen. Aren't you glad that you have that spirit in you? Amen. You can enjoy that wonderful relationship that does because and through Christ. Now you can, you have that birthright You have that birthright to enter boldly into the throne room because He is your Father. And you are His Son. I'm glad that I've got somebody in me, the Spirit of Christ, that calls out unto the Father. Now, He said, you've got to be able to say, our Father. You've got to be able to say, our Father. Real praying is a relationship. 
our Father. But then I want you to notice with me, as we go further in the text, not only it is a matter of someone praying in you, if you're really going to pray, somebody's going to have to pray in you. But I want you to notice with me that if real praying takes place, somebody's going to have to pray through you, or somebody's going to have to pray for you. Now notice Jesus begins to tell them what to pray. Now I, I wouldn't advise listening to someone else tell you what to pray. But I would advise you and I allowing the Lord to pray for us and through us. You say, well, preacher, why can't I just pray for myself? Well, the reason being is, is because you really, most of the time, don't know what to pray for. Romans 8 and 26 said, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. We'll say, well, who's doing the praying? But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Aren't there times in desperate needs when you bow before God that you really don't know what to pray, but yet you sense that there is a communing going on between your heart and God. Many times you rise up off your knees knowing everything's going to be all right, but you don't know how and nor why, and you don't know that you ever got it across, but somehow you know that God understood what was going on, and you understood that God knew what understood what was going on. And so everything was going to be all right. Why? Because really... The Spirit of God within you was was doing the praying for you or communing for you. The only way you can commune with God is through His Spirit. Someone must be praying in you, but someone must be praying for you or through you. There has to be that spiritual uh, approach to God that only the Spirit uh, can do. Notice as Jesus teaches them to pray. You see... If you, you know, a lot of times we think prayer is the amount of time you spend or how many words that you pray or all of that other stuff. But praying really is communing with God and letting Him. You know, a lot of folks think what prayer is, is, is uh, you coming up with a great idea. And then you go to the God before the throne and you tell God what you just thought of. And God is impressed. And he says to Michael and Gabriel, come on, uh, get in on this. I don't know why we didn't think of this. We could, we could do, you know, we'll, we'll see what we can do about this. That's not real praying. For instance, Hannah prayed for a Samuel. But who do you think wanted a Samuel even more than Hannah did? The father did. Don't you think he worked out the circumstances to where Samuel could be born? Real praying is God knowing what He wants, letting you be a part of it by placing a burden on your heart, and then in a circuit you take, you take what God wants right back to His throne. Yeah, praying for it. That's how prayer actually works. It's, it's God in you approaching God for what God wants. Right. As, as, as Jesus often prayed. And notice what He prays. Now, if you'll just wait before God you find out that the Spirit of God will begin to pray things that you would never have thought of. 
He begins to pray in light of eternity. He says, first of all, not my will, thy will be done. That's not human praying. That's spirit praying. Not my will, thy will be done. He begins to pray about daily things. We're often thinking about tomorrow. Uh, as, as fleshly beings, we're thinking about the provisions of tomorrow. But he began to pray about the daily bread. And then we want to pray for those that pray for us. And we want to love those that love us. But Jesus said, you need to pray for your enemies. Pray for them that despitefully use you. And so that's praying that we would never get done because humanly speaking, we wouldn't think of praying about things like that. But the Holy Spirit, once the Holy Spirit takes over in prayer, it'll elevate you and express things that you couldn't have within yourself. There is a wonderful enactment of prayer that takes place when the Holy Ghost takes over. You begin to pray, bless, bless them that curse you and pray for them that despitefully use you. You couldn't pray that way. Yeah. I thought about this matter of prayer and how frail that we really are and how much we need the Holy Ghost in prayer. Yeah. Now just think about how messed up we would get things if God answered prayer according to how we felt. I'm thinking about in the Old Testament, for instance, Joseph when he was mistreated by his brothers and sold into Egypt and everything that happened to him. Well, let's just suppose now, we're just supposing that this little flock right here lived back in Joseph's day and we, we uh, I know we're transcending time, but just suppose we knew the Lord and everything and, and we prayed for folks as we did, took prayer requests and things of that nature. And, and let's suppose somebody came to church and stood up and testified and said, you know, old man Jacob that, that, that comes to church here. You know his son Joseph that, that's a fine boy, teaches Sunday school. His brothers have, have hauled off and had him uh, sold and they have taken him down to Egypt and we hear he's a slave. Let's just suppose you have all that information. And his daddy's about to die. His heart's broken. He's wanting his son back home. Now what, if we had any, any sensitivity about us at all, what would we pray? What would you pray? We would pray and say, Oh God, would you bring Joseph back home? And would you mend his daddy's heart? Would you get them boys right with God? Lord, would you hurry up and, and cause them to turn Joseph loose? And if we, but if we'd have prayed it, we'd have prayed contrary to everything God was trying to get done. But we're only pray, we only pray according to time and according to boundaries, according to limitations. We don't know the eternal aspects of it. Hey. The disciples were horrified when Jesus went to Calvary. And if we'd have been there, we'd have been the same way. They thought he came to be king. And they would, I'm sure their hearts cried out. And ours would have cried out, Lord, don't let him crucify him. Don't let him put them crown of thorns on him. Please don't let him die. But we would have been praying contrary to what God was working. Hey. <laughs> Aren't we so frail in our understandings of the eternal workings of God? That's why we must yield ourselves to the only one who knows, and that is the Spirit of God. And what the Spirit of God will do will draw you into what God is doing and will help you pray in channel to what God is praying. And so Jesus is saying in the school of prayer, 
Somebody's got to be in you. I've got to be in you. You cannot really pray unless you've got a father. The only way he can be your father is if I'm inside of you. And somebody's got to pray through you. I must be the one. Yield yourself to me and let me do the praying. Oh, don't carry around bitterness and anguish and animosity and all those. Don't just pray about the little things that you want, but let my spirit take over in the communication of prayer. And it makes it an eternal working. He's teaching them how to pray. Somebody's got to pray in you. Somebody's got to pray through you and for you. But then I want you to notice with me lastly, I want you to go back to verse number one. I'm interested in that word place. He prayed in a certain place. And I want to emphasize that, that somebody's got to pray with you. Somebody's got to pray with you. Now, the Bible said that he was in a certain place. Now, the scripture talks about several places that he went to pray. Luke tells us he went up into the mountain to pray. Again, he said he went into the wilderness to pray. Mark said he was in a solitary place to pray. Mark again said in the garden he fell on the ground and he prayed. Jesus had some specific places of prayer, some significant places of prayer. He had some special places of prayer that Jesus prayed from. Now they come to him and they ask him, they said, Lord, would you... Teach us to pray. What you got to understand is if you ask the Lord for something, you better be careful that He might give it to you. But realize it may be more than what you're thinking about. So when we think about the Lord teaching us to pray, we're, we're, we're thinking on, on some levels that are different than what maybe He does. And, uh, you know, there are different types of praying. There, there is what I call the respectful prayer. That is the praying that you do over your meals and before you go to bed at night, and I think that's good. We need to be thankful to God for all that He want, has done for us. That, that's a respectful prayer. And uh, then there are the repetitious prayers. I think they are fine also. This is one of them. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy... Sorry to pray that. As a matter of fact, some, I, I tell you, one of the ways that I like to have my spirit brought into prayer is to go to the Psalms and read those Psalms as if they are a prayer from my heart because they are truth, repetitious prayers. But then the third category is what I call real prayers, real prayers. That's all different level. A real prayer, nothing wrong with the other kind of prayers, but real praying can only happen from certain places. There's just certain places that that is going to happen. Now, respectful praying when you pray over your meals is fine, but that's not real, real praying. As a matter of fact, I really don't want you to do no agonizing praying just before I eat. I mean, when it comes time to eat, I'm ready to eat. If you're going to agonize before God, you should have done that this morning or do that tonight. We'll pray about all those other things later. But uh, that's that respectful prayer. Go ahead and honor the Lord and, uh, and, and so on. But this matter of real praying, I want you to catch a grip of this. He, he went to a certain place. In other words, uh, have you read there in the garden where Jesus went in and fell on his face and prayed before God? Can you sense the spirit of that prayer in that garden, that great agony 
that's taking place there. Or when he prayed from the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. These different places that Jesus went to pray. Now here's what I want you to see. If you're going to really be able to pray, the Lord's going to have to put you in the situation to where prayer will happen. You won't have to be told to pray. You won't have to be given certain hours to pray. You won't have to... No, this real praying, when you get there, when you get here, it's going to happen. But it's sort of like this. If you're going to learn how to do something, let's say, for instance, I wanted to learn how to work on um, on cars. Let's say I wanted to work on cars. And uh, let's say I say to Brother Jeff, I want to I learn how to work on a car. He said, all right, well, uh, meet me at uh, Shoney's in the morning. We'll have breakfast over there. And I said, okay. So I meet him at Shoney's. We eat breakfast. We have a good time. And we part ways. And I come back to church tomorrow night. And I said, well, Jeff, I tell you, I just want to learn to work on cars. He said, well, that's good. Uh, we'll meet at Cracker Barrel tomorrow. So we meet at Cracker Barrel, and we have lunch and everything. We talk, we have a good time, and he leaves. And I said, well, fine. I said, well, you know, I want to learn how to work on cars. Well, I'm going to tell you something. I'm never going to learn how to work on cars at McDonald's or at Cracker Barrel or any of those other places. The only way I'm going to learn how to work on cars, I'm going to have to go to a place where cars are worked on. i got to go to the scene where the tools are and where the car is and when, where, what needs to be fixed, where I can be brought into, into what it's all about. Right, yeah. And so what Jesus is doing with his disciples, what he does so often, is what he does with you and I. He will take you to those special places of prayer. Yeah. Now, sometimes they are agonizing. Sometimes they are isolated. Sometimes they are, they are stormy places. Sometimes they are uh, whatever it is. But he knows that if you're going to really pray, he's going to have to take you to the places where prayer happens. Where prayer takes place. Well, I'm going to tell you, when you get the news that you got cancer, I suppose it's not too hard to pray about that. Or you feel that pain coming in your chest and you end up in the hospital on your back. It's pretty simple to pray about that. Or you hear that one of your children's just been in a car wreck. Those are places, those are circumstances, those are situations where you can literally fall before God and and prayer will happen. That's why during times of war, I've heard them tell the stories, World War I, World War II, they said that those were those are times when you could hear people praying all over the country in a, every farm or every place in the barn, in the woods. They were praying. Why? Because their sons were on the battlefield and they could get a notice at any day that they'd be, that they'd be wounded or dead and they found it easier to pray. You see, Jesus takes us into those, those places. And he says, all right, now this is a good place. This, this, this place right here, uh, it's called a garden, but it is a good place to pray. Yeah. Or this place right here, it is a cross, but it's a good place. This is an isolated place, but there's nobody out here but you and the Lord. It's a good place to pray. Yeah. He, he'll take you to those, those 
places. Because you see, not only does someone have to pray in you, somebody has to pray for you and somebody has to pray with you. He said, come on, let's go. I know where there's a good place that we can pray from and we can talk to the Lord. Let me give you an illustration and then I want to close. Uh, I I like the little poem along this line. It says, O thou by whom we come to God, the life, the truth, the way, the path, of prayer thyself has trod. Lord, teach us how to pray. In other words, prayer is more than just words. It's a path that leads us to a place of prayer. But let me give you this. I'll close. I was not raised in a Christian home, Christian element, you know, teaching and stuff like that. So after I got saved, I, you know, over the years, I've... I've I've really uh, pondered those people who had godly heritages. And, uh, and uh, it, it is wonderful to be able to look back at a godly mother, a godly father, a grandfather, a grandmother. My wife had a godly heritage. But as far back as I could look, I could see no godly connections. Even uh, I got on Ancestry.com and I thought, well, I'll just search that out. And the news in there was worse than what I knew before I got on it. So I canceled that. I said, man, I don't want, that's bad, bad enough what I do know, let alone what I don't know. And, uh, but anyway, I got to thinking, you know, and it may be just uh, sentimentalism, but I got to think, boy, wouldn't it be wonderful to, to have somebody in your family through the generations that knew God, that prayed like Abraham prayed for his children, and, and, and the effects that prayer has on the children and, and the generations to come, to know you had that godly heritage. I know there's no salvation in it, but just reaching back and being able to point at that person that God used in that light. And I didn't know of anybody. I didn't know of anybody. And me and the wife, when I was preaching in West Virginia, we were, we were looking up a holler where my my wife my mother's family were was buried. Now I didn't get to know my mother. I was she left when I was a year and a half old. My dad raised never did remarry, alcoholic, what have you. And so I, I we went up on this uh, this little road looking for the places to where maybe the graveyards where my mother's side of the family was buried. Campbell's Creek was the name of it, and we found the graveyard of my grandfather. My mother's daddy, Hez, he died in 1947. And my grandmother died in 1966 on that side, and a couple of uncles. So we came out of there, and I went on to South Carolina to a meeting a couple of months later. And the pastor said to me, Central South Carolina, he said, do you want to go down to Anderson, South Carolina? He knew I liked knives, and he said, there's a store down there that sells some knives. He said, you'd enjoy it. So we went down there to the knife store, and when we went in, there was this elderly gentleman that was there tending the knives and selling them. So we went in, began to look at them, began to talk to him, and just a pleasure to know him, or to talk to him. And we worked our way around the knife cases, looking at them, and somehow somebody mentioned something about West Virginia. And I said, well, I was raised in West Virginia. Well, he, he stood back and looked, and he said, well, I was too. But he said, I bet you hadn't heard of a place called uh, Campbell's Creek, West Virginia. 
I said, well, yeah. I said, I was just up there a couple of months ago looking for some of my folks that was buried up there. Well, let me step back and tell you that my dad, when I was a young kid, used to laugh about my mother's two uncles. It was my grandfather's brothers who were twins. Been dead for years. And uh, their names, the only name that he knew them by was One Penny and Two Penny. That was it. No other name. One Penny and Two Penny. He'd laugh about that. And of course, we didn't know him. And he said, I said, well, yeah, I was, uh, said, I, I, we, we, we were up on Campbell's Creek and looking for where my folks were buried. He said, well, what's your folks' last name? Here's this old man. He, I said, well, uh, my mother's folks' last name was Shelton's. And here's, he stepped back. The preacher that was with me, he could see the expression on my face. And you just had to be in there for this, for this to, to understand. He stepped back and he looked at me and he said, hmm, you wouldn't ever heard of, happen to ever heard of one penny and two penny, would you? I said, one penny and two penny? I said, no, I, I never met him, but I said, that's my grandpa. That's his twin brothers. One penny and two penny. I said, you knew one penny and two penny? I was about to die. I couldn't believe in somebody just to know that much. But listen to what he said. Yeah, he said, didn't know two penny too well, but he said one penny was an old mountain preacher. And said he'd come by every Sunday and pick me up and take me to church. He said I got saved. And he said to one of the, he said one of the things I remember. He said he had one of them old cars had vacuum windshield wiper blades and went snow real hard. Said oh one penny get out there and wipe that snow off with his hand and he'd take me to church. I said hallelujah. He may not be worth much to most folks, but at least I've got a one penny in my family that knew the Lord. Well enough to stop by and pick up a little old boy and win him to the Lord who's still committed to Jesus even in this day. And I couldn't help but think that if old one penny who was my grandpa's brother cared enough to take a stranger's young in the church, you reckon he ever prayed for his brother and his brother's children and his brother's grandchildren? <laughs> Maybe an answer to his prayer, I don't know. I can't wait to meet a one penny. Just a penny. Just a penny. But you know, I got to thinking there's something even better than that. There's somebody sitting at the right hand of the Father who's always praying for me and praying for you. Aren't you glad that you got a Jesus that'll pray in you He'll pray through you, he'll pray with you, and he'll pray for you. Wow, you can't beat it when it comes to prayer. I'm glad, I'm glad for old one penny. I really am. But even better than that, I'm glad for Jesus, aren't you? Let's stand by our heads. Father, we thank you for your blessings this day. They've been bountiful. We thank you, Lord, for the spirit of prayer that you put within us to say, Father. And thank you, Father, that you've allowed us to be able to come into your presence. Enter in boldly. The throne room of grace. And I want to thank you that you're ever interceding for us. In Jesus' name we pray and for his sake.